Genesis 22. Um, Let's just read through it. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. And then he said, Take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains which I will show you, or I shall tell you. And so Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and two of his young men with him and Isaac his son, and he split the wood for the burnt offering, and he rose and went to the place of which God had told him. And then on the third day Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey, and the lad and I will go up yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. And so Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son, and he took the fire in his hand and the knife, and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham his father and said, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Then they came to the place of which God had told him. And Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order, and he bound Isaac his son laid him on the altar upon the wood. Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And so he said, Here I am. And he said, Do not lay your hand on the lad, nor do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there was... um, Behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. And so Abraham went and took the ram, offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place, The Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, In the mountain of the Lord it shall be provided. And then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son. Blessing will I bless you. Multiplying will I multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven, as the sand which is on the seashore. And your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. And so Abraham returned to his young men and they rose and went together to Beersheba. Abraham dwelt at Beersheba. And now it came to pass after these things that it was told Abraham, saying, Indeed, Milcah has also borne children to your brother Nahor, Huz his firstborn, and Buzz his brother, Kamuel, the father of Aram, Jezed, Hazo, Pildash, Jidlaf, and Bethuel. And Bethuel begot Rebekah. And these eight uh, Milcah bore to Nahor, Abraham's brother, his concubine, whose name was Reumah, also bore Teba, Geham, Phahash, and Makkah, I hope. But the point, Rebecca's in there, eh? Um, so, chapter 21, Hagar and Ishmael, remember they were ended up in the wilderness of Paran. God heard their cry, blessed Ishmael, promised to make him a nation because he was Abraham's seed. That's chapter 21, verse 13. But in chapter 22, three times, God says, Isaac is your only son. 
Abraham had obeyed God. He'd come out of Haran with his father's house, out of his father's house and his father's land. He left everything to wander and sojourn through Canaan, living in tents from one place to another. In the land God promised to descendants, he had promised a son with Sarah, promised that Abraham believed and it was accounted to him as righteousness. God did not accept Ishmael for that promise, but only Isaac. And now Abraham's faith would be tested, that very thing that God promised. And so God says, take Isaac, your only son, and um, he says, whom you love. That word love is the first time in the Bible where that word is used. Whom you love. First time in scripture. And Abraham did love Isaac. This was the son that God promised. This was the son he had with his wife, Sarah, whom he loved and been with for decades. Worshiping God, offering offerings and sacrifices at every place that God spoke to him. God did, or Abraham did obey God. He came out of the land in all he told him to do, leaving his father's house, his faith in God to provide the son he promised and to make him a great nation. Abraham did love Isaac and Abraham did obey God in all these things, promising that he would have innumerable, sands of the sea, stars of the sky, descendants. He was said that he had a friendship with God. We'll look at that a little bit too again. But in a life that honored God, and all of this was because God had called him. All of this was that he'd called and promised, and then fulfilling in Isaac being born in that promise. And now he tells Abraham to offer him up as a burnt offering. What's the first thing Abraham does? No questions. No arguments. He'd been obeying God this whole time, waiting patiently for decades for Isaac to be born. You know, he just gets up early, splits the firewood, heads out to the place God shows him. When we begin our walks, um, you know, God gives us things to do. The very first simple thing for us to do when we get saved is he says, get baptized. Get baptized. And it's a simple thing. It's a show of our faith. It's, it's a simple obedience to a simple command. It's public. And so there's something going on where people see us and we go, boy, this is real. I'm getting baptized and people are seeing this. Who is that guy getting dunked in the water or that gal? And um, it's that simple act of obedience. Um, like baptism and repentance from sin. Another simple thing the Lord gives us to do. It's simple. It's not easy. But repentance, we're not always quick to respond to the unusual or the uncomfortable things that God may ask of us. Um, but the sooner you simply trust and obey him, and uh, the less you hesitate, you know, as you walk with the Lord, it becomes, it becomes more natural. Or I guess it's never going to be natural against your flesh, but it becomes easier. It becomes something that you've been willing to do. Obey the Lord. And... and uh, do the things that he's asked us to do. So when something big comes along, when something that's a real true test, here's Abraham, offer up your son. You mean the one that, you know, he didn't say anything, but in the mind, I don't know, in my mind I'd go, you mean the one that you promised? Well, then you're going to have to do something because he's the one you promised. Abraham knew that God would have to do something to bring about what he'd promised, even if... Abraham were to kill Isaac and offer him as a sacrifice. So for us, just like that, when something way beyond our understanding comes up, 
we really have no reason to doubt God. The more we trust him, the more we grow in that, that uh, walk with him. Some will question, some will complain at every little thing, and then when the big thing comes along, well, they don't trust God at all. They, they, they don't want to give up control. The only reason I complain is because I don't want to give up control. I want to do what I want, I don't, and so I end up complaining. And I end up, you know, arguing or questioning. And so when the big difficulty comes along, when the tough thing comes along, you know, um, it's a test. It's a test. So, you know, many will not trust the Lord. And then when that comes up, they, they can't give up control. If you give up, uh, or uh, give a second, turn to Hebrews chapter 11. And, you know, here we are again in Hebrews as we go through Genesis. Much of uh, Hebrews chapter 11 is part of that uh, early part of Scripture, the faith of the patriarchs and the saints of the Old Testament and of the book of Genesis. We've been through uh, verses 1 through 7, and we've been through verses uh, 20 and uh, afterwards concerning Abraham, and now we're back in this particular part of it, and that's chapter 11, verses 8 through 19, dealing with Isaac. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out of the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise, as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of that same promise. For he waited for a city which was foundations and whose builder and maker is God. And we talked about these two verses last time. Uh, By faith Sarah herself also received strength to conceive, and she bore a child when she was past the age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore from one man, and him as good as dead, were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. And so a lot of people would be hyper-literalists and say, okay, we've got to go count all the sand and we've got to go count all the stars. Well, here he says in Hebrews what the point is, is it's innumerable. And that's what he's saying. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is, heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. And by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises offered up his own begotten son, of whom it was said, In Isaac your seed shall be called, concluding that God was able to raise him even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. You know, Abraham, not knowing where he was going, back in verses 8 through 10, as a foreigner, he dwelt in tents. In other words, he put down no roots, didn't lay a foundation and build, put the bricks up. He was waiting for a place that God built, not like Nimrod or Babel. Remember, they, they built uh, Babel with the pride of their strength and their own 
And they got together and they started stacking up and building bigger and bigger. And pretty soon they're going to build to the heavens so that they can uh, defy God who had commanded them to go out and fill the earth and multiply in the earth. In verses 11 and 12, we talked about last time again the faith of Abraham and Sarah and that he had believed God and, and not only in believing him but contemplating, considering the fact that his own body was dust and beyond the deadness of his own body and, and Sarah's. In verse 13 through 16, they saw this promise from afar off. Remember, the Lord took uh, Abraham after Lot had split off and gone down to uh, the valley of Sodom and that whole stretch down there. He says, look around now, Abraham. And he looked as far as east, west, north, south, and as far as he could see was going to be the land. That whole Canaanite area was going to be the land for his descendants. They lived as strangers, it says, they lived as pilgrims. They had no control of their surroundings, no claim to anything beyond where they were putting their tent down. And then when they moved, we'll read about uh, next chapter. Sarah um, is uh, passes on, and so he does buy a piece of property just to bury his own. And um, but beyond that, they lived as pilgrims, having no nothing there of their own in that land. But they were seeking a homeland, it says, right? Thinking of a better country, it says. Desiring a heavenly country whose builder is who? The Lord's, right? Not something they built in their own strength. This is such a picture for us, right? For the trying to build up in our own lives and what we want to build up to in our own strength and lay a foundation with our own plans and put, get out the, you know, the, the scale and the, the pencil and the triangle and start drawing it up just the way we like it. And, uh, but we're not the builder. The Lord's the builder. We're looking for a place that he's going to prepare, knowing us through and through what we are and what he knows we would be, what would be perfect for us. And that's how he's building our lives here too. I mean, I've said it before, and I, don't, I can't remember where I heard this, but be yourself. Everybody else is taken. God made you just the way he made you. And that you'd be in this place, in this town, or wherever town you are, and whatever wherever you're listening from, to meet the needs of of the ministry in that place where He put you, like you are, with that face, with with the abilities and the the talents that He gave you, and with the love that He gave you for those around you. But then He says, "Therefore," um, in verse twelve, "Therefore." Um, actually, that's not the therefore I'm looking for. Well, it says they desired, uh, you know, God is not ashamed, he says, to be called their God. Um, and um, that's, that's kind of heavy. If that's true, you know, therefore God's not ashamed to be called their God because they're looking for another town, another city, another place, a heavenly city. Because why? Well, because he's building it for them. Um, Verse 16, yeah, but now uh, they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Now, the, the converse must be true, right? Um, what's, what about those that are comfortable in this world, those that do call this world their home? Um, nothing can be more discouraging for a believer than to think that God is ashamed of us. And we need to know that there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. But what's the witness to the world 
if you know a believer doesn't trust God with their lives and you know all that they see in the believer is the complaining and, and the uh, um, worrying about the things of this life and or they got their hands so tightly gripped around their possessions and, and the world sees that they can see where your heart's at a lot of times just by your action by your life you know if we say you know that we've put our lives in his hands then we trust him with our circumstances and we will be tested just like Abraham was tested and the test usually has to do with something that that we're withholding that we are not willing to let go and that test that that uh, he tested Abraham with was for what reason he says now I know that you're not going to withhold anything even your only son whom you love from me you know when we're tested then the world will see our faith you know they'll see our hope in him and that hope in a future life our hope in the next life our hope in the kingdom to come that he's building our trust that you know we you know i keep saying you know a lot but <laughs> i think you do and the thing of it is we have a, a such a glorious hope and the more that people see that in us and the more our life is tested and they see that we know we've put our hope in the Lord and we put our hope in the kingdom to come and we're living for that which lies ahead and in this world we might lose everything but more than anything we want to be a witness to those so that more might see and put their hope in the things to come realizing how true it is by our testimony you know then we represent God correctly to the world and then they're without excuse before a God who's not ashamed when we call him our God you know, God's never ashamed of us, but you know sometimes when we call our ourselves Christians and we're not acting like it, well, it brings shame to to you know what people think a Christian is, right? Well, if we do trust Him with our lives in a way that that they see it, and you don't have to go out of your way to prove anything, you just need to trust the Lord, and He'll test you, and it'll just He loves showing the world and what his kids are able to, to trust him with. And that's how the Lord shows his love to the world. In verse 17 through 19, Abraham knows that Isaac alone is the promise, and God would have to raise him from the dead. In Genesis, he says to Isaac, um, about Isaac, he says, God will provide or, uh, to Isaac, Abraham says, God will provide himself a lamb for sacrifice. Now in Hebrews, he calls that a type. And the word type in, in uh, the Greek is this word parabole. Well, we recognize that right off the bat from parable. And it means a likeness. It means you put these two side by side and they have the same meaning, a similitude. An example for doctrine is what it's mean, parabole. And Abraham believes in a God almighty Remember Romans 4 last week, we talked about how this is the God who calls into being those things which do not exist before. For all that was promised in Isaac, it would be impossible unless Isaac was raised from the dead. And that's what he says in Hebrews. Abraham literally believed in the resurrection. You know, what you know, people would ask, you know, did Abraham believe in the resurrection? Uh, what would it matter if his descendants got into the land if he was dead anyway? 
you know, if there's no resurrection, if there's nothing. But it's really more than posterity because we all wish for the best. We all would love to have a promise from God that says, this is what your kids are going to do. And we do as believers. You know, there's many verses that talk about raising your children in the Lord and the things that he'll do. And yet everyone will give an account for their own life at a certain point. Again, without getting too distracted, they reach an age of accountability. But you raise your kids. And the Bible says that, you know, at a point they will return. They'll think about it. They'll, they'll have to consider it once again. And he will call them. And they'll have their own choice because God doesn't have any grandchildren. Every single one of us has to come to the Lord for ourselves. There is no such thing as, as um, saving your baby for them. You know, and um, but we do love them, and we know the Lord loves them. It was more than posterity; it was the seed promised to Eve, and now through Isaac, that would defeat the serpent in the garden by dying on the cross and rising from the dead. Wasn't Abraham completely familiar from having it passed down from his forefathers and? You know, his life overlapped uh, Shem and Noah. Their lives overlapped Seth and Adam. So for two, three, maybe testimonies down the line, Abraham knew exactly what happened in the garden. And he knew exactly what the seed was about. And so he knew that Isaac would have to raise from the dead. This is the promised seed. Um, By Adam came death to all, but the promise is life through the seed. Now Satan's power is keeping people in the darkness and the hopeless fear of death. And the resurrection destroyed that, right? And Satan had the power of death, but that has been destroyed by the resurrection. And so Jesus did, and here we are living on the other side of the cross. Yet Abraham believed that there was a resurrection. Um, And with many witnesses, Jesus did rise from the dead and ascended to the right hand of the Father. And he is in the kingdom that is made without hands. And he is preparing a place for us. The heavenly country we are seeking, the thinking about and desiring, to which we indeed are heirs in Christ Jesus. Remember these guys? He's talking about them. They, they all died in faith, not having seen. Uh, but from afar off, they were assured of them. Embrace them in verse 13. Confess that they were strangers, pilgrims on the earth. And look what it says, for those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. So what kind of things do we say, you know, and when we're going through the the trial of it, you know, we're looking for another place. Lord, take me home. So the Sadducees even, Jesus said, you know, uh, who didn't even believe in the resurrection, Jesus tells them God spoke to Moses and the burning bush, and he says, He was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Jesus said, He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Indeed, already the resurrection. Making the point to them that there is a resurrection from the dead. Also, those who died in faith were kept in a place called Abraham's bosom until Jesus descended and led captivity captive. In Matthew 8, Jesus says, Many shall come from the east and the west and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. This faith Abraham had and this faith you and I have in our Lord Jesus Christ is how God can say to us, now I know that you fear God. Like he said to Abraham, now I know you haven't withheld anything. Uh, you have your, your only son whom you've loved. Now, 
it goes without saying, um, this was the seed, this was the test, this was Abraham, this was something a little different. There's not going to be an angel coming to you and saying you need to sacrifice your firstborn son. Um, but the kind of faith that we have uh, where we don't withhold from the Lord anything. Believing in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, why would we withhold anything from God? Because we're looking for a country and a city whose architect is God and builder. Back in Genesis 22, he says he sees a place afar off. Abraham sees a mountain in the land of Moriah. In Abraham's time, we read about this and studied this in the weeks past, there was this town called Salem. And that king of Salem is Melchizedek. Century later, centuries later, there was the, the city of Jebus, where the Jebusites dwelt, which had been built up into this high castle, which none could penetrate, finally, until David did in First Chronicles 11. Um, just turn to Second Chronicles 3 for one verse, because we're talking about a location now that is kind of significant. It wasn't just any mountain. He says, I'll take you, Abraham, to the mountain that I will show you, that I will tell you. Go to that one specific. And just simple verse here in Second Chronicles 3, verse 1. Now Solomon began to build the house of the Lord at Jerusalem on Mount Moriah, where the Lord had appeared to his father David at the place that David had prepared on the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. And without going through the whole story, in First Chronicles chapter 21, 20 and 21, David had um, commanded there be a census taken of all of Israel. Now, to take a census by a king was sin, because what he's doing is he's counting up his goods and his strength and seeing if he's got the strength he needs to do what he wants to do. When the Lord says, no, you trust me. I don't even want you to know how big this is because I want to be getting the glory of the Lord. And so in chapter 21, the angel you know, had uh, been destroying. Uh, David chose uh, one of three things. Should I be in the hands of my enemies or should I be uh, in the hands of the living God? Well, he chose that the Lord would bring the judgment and not be given into the hands of his enemies. And so when the Lord was judging, the angel was going to the threshing floor of, of um, Orm, Ornan, the Jebusite, and the Lord finally held off at that point. And that's where David then built an altar to the Lord on Mount Moriah, the same place that Abraham had taken. Referring to that Jebusite city, it was called Zion, which means parched white the place would stand out in that area. The mountain he would show. When Abraham was coming up with Isaac, he saw the place from afar off after going three days and left the, the, the donkey and the servants there and, and went with Isaac, his son. Now, Isaac at this time was probably about 13 years old or so, maybe, maybe older. Um, some say he could be younger as well. And he had a good question. I see the... I see the donkey, or I'm sorry, I see the, the, uh, the wood, I see the fire, um, but where's the lamb? And he says, I will provide, uh, the Lord will provide himself. The word for in there, in fact, I kind of read it back in Genesis um, 
22 and verse 8. Abraham said, my son, God will provide. And I actually took white out and I crossed out that four because really it doesn't belong there. And I'm not a Greek or Hebrew scholar. I like to use blue letter Bible and, and things like that to, to do my studies for any given thing and, and all. But, um, you know, that doesn't belong there because in Hebrews it says plainly that God provided himself the lamb for a burnt offering. And the two of them went up. Now, it is something to be acknowledged that here's, here's uh, Isaac, strong enough, probably couldn't even been in his upper teens by now. And here's this 110-year-old, 115-year-old guy muscling uh, to tie him up, and he's going to throw him on the altar. And, and uh, it doesn't say a single thing about Isaac, uh, whether or not it, uh, he resisted or spoke up or if he just didn't know what was going on to the last minute we don't know but it's interesting there's not a word and same with our lord jesus when he was led as a lamb to the slaughter he was silent and didn't open his mouth Um, so here's the jebusite city here's zion abraham brings this uh, god brings abraham to the same place that Solomon would one day build the temple. And it's that one place that the Lord says, in all the earth, um, that is the place where he puts his name. And just outside the city wall, not far away from here at all, in fact, easily spotted from, there is a little mound, a little edge of the, that area called Golgotha, the skull, the place of the skull. And if you've been to Israel, there is a place that now, now it's right below there is this uh, Arab bus station in that part of Jerusalem. But you look up and you can kind of see, even after all these years, the, what, the figure of what would have been sort of a skull and that would have had that name um, in Golgotha in that same place where, in fact, the Lamb of God was sacrificed. And the only begotten Son of God providing himself an offering for the sins of the world. Abraham is tested. We will be tested. What is the test? To see if there's anything that we're going to withhold from God. You know, and along with his his faith and his patience that were tested, waiting for how many decades for the promise to finally be fulfilled when uh, Isaac was finally born. And I guess the moral of the whole story is, is there anything that we're withholding from our God? Now, that kind of, if you follow that through, then again, comes back to that thing, well then, is he ashamed of me? Well, let's look at a few things and then we'll tie it up with, with uh, the truth about that. Matthew 10, um, I'm just going to read through these and let the Lord speak to your hearts as he sees fit. And then uh, we'll talk about it. Matthew ten thirty four to 39. Jesus said, Do you think, or do not think, that I came to bring peace on the earth? I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against the mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be those in his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross 
and follow me is not worthy of me. And he who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. In uh, chapter 16, 24 through 27. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And and whoever desires to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will reward each according to his works." And flip to chapter 19, 28 through 30. We're actually going to read this in a little bit in Luke. Let's go to Luke 18. Just do it there. It's the same passage. I didn't realize I doubled up. A little more detail here. In Luke 18, we'll just uh, 18 through 30. And again, the Lord is uh, telling these parables. And we studied what that is just a minute ago. A similitude. Put them side by side and they mean the same thing. In 18 through 30 it says, Now a certain ruler asked him, saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And so Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, and that is God. You know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not commit murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother. And he said, all these things I have kept from my youth. Well, I don't know about the one that says do not lie, but um, maybe, he, maybe he did as far as he knew. Um, so when Jesus heard these things, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor that you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. But when he heard this, he became very sorrowful, for he was very rich. Now, some would say this verse, and it applies to every single believer, that we all need to go and sell everything that we have. But see, Jesus knows what each one of us has and what each one of us in our own hearts would have the toughest time letting go of. This guy came up with his own his own uh, self-righteousness or his own good works. And Jesus says, yeah, but there's this one thing that he knew right where to get to his heart. And he, and he says, but here's the, here's the thing. Why don't you sell all that you have? And then the, the, um, Jesus said, saw that he became so sorrowful, he said in verse 24, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And again, you know, that each one of us has the amount of grace and the abilities or the gifts that God gave us. Uh, whether or not you're rich or poor or struggling from day to day or anything else, you know, God knows your heart. And if it really boils down to one simple kind of truth, do you own those or do those own you? Do those things that you have do they own you or do you own them? And if you, you can manage them and you take care of those things and the Lord's given you what he's given you and given you ability to have, then, you know, use it to his glory. And James, it says, you know, uh, do everything for, for God's glory. And, uh, but if it's ruling you, if it's got its grip on you, if your hands are so tight around it and you've got no generosity in you whatsoever, well, that's what he's talking about. 
It's the one thing you're with, withholding, literally gripping uh, from the Lord. And, um, to, and to those who heard it in verse 26, well then who can be saved, right? Same thing. Maybe I'm not a millionaire, but if, if my hands are gripping my one penny so tight, well that's probably my God and uh, the thing that I'm hanging on to. And so he says, these things which are, um, the things which are impossible with men, well, they're possible with God. And Peter said, well, see, we have left all and followed you. And so he said to them, surely I say to you, there is none who has left his house or his parents or his brothers or his wife or his children for the sake of the kingdom of God, who shall not receive many times more in this present time and the age to come eternal life. A lot of us here we have left things, you know, whether it's family, whether it's uh, friends, whether it's a particular job that, that was ungodly and that you had to get out of, um, you know, you suffer for it. But then look at here we are sitting in a room with, with 50 people who we know have the same love of God in us and given the chance, have love for one another. You know, I bet you, you know, come Saturday, you're going to see a lot of love among the ladies and for one another and just celebrating the fact that they're, they're joining together, worshiping the Lord at men's prayer meeting on Sunday mornings. You know the guy, or on Saturday mornings, you know the guys, you know, that come because, and you know their hearts and you begin to love them knowing their, their struggles and, and it's just the love God gives us for one another. And one of the, I don't know, for me, one of the simplest, or I shouldn't even say simple, one of the most encouraging things that ever, God's ever done for me is when I prayed that he give me his love for the person that I had a hard time loving. And he did. And all of a sudden, my, total, my attitude completely changes toward that person. You know, and, and it just has a, a, a life-changing thing to see how he gives his love that he has for them to you to love them with. And it, it sets us free. Um, in James chapter 2, 20 through 26, context here is these guys, um, James writes to the 12 tribes that are scattered, scattered abroad. Um, so it's, he's writing to Jews, he's writing to synagogues, writing to believers, and, you know, that we're getting saved in these synagogues and still being a part of, of uh, um, you know, the community and all, but there would be a bunch that would hang out with them and start, uh, you know, they would say, hey, we got faith, but their lives didn't show it at all, and James is going through a lot of that. They, they had faith, and so they would actually say, it doesn't matter what our lives are like, you know, and so James basically is addressing the works that should accompany faith, and it kind of goes without saying. A lot of people would take this to the extreme and become legalistic, saying James, in fact, I've been told, I didn't read all the research on this, but that when it came to canonizing scripture, uh, James was one of the last ones they allowed in because they just weren't sure how good it uh, sat with the grace of God and believing. And like Jesus said, um, what's the works of God? Believe on him who he sent, period. And, and all, that's the works of God, believe on him. But James explains it's a kind of faith that's real. It's a kind of faith that has, um, it has a life to it. It's not just a, a bunch of spoken things that they got faith. And so James 22, 20 through 26. Um, but do you not know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? 
And here's our story. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Justified. If you see that faith was working together with his works, and or do you see that faith was working together with his works? And by works, faith was made perfect. And not perfect as in... Um, Perfect like we think of it, but, but complete, mature, full, no missing parts. By works, faith is made complete. And scripture was fulfilled which says, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. And so you see then a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is also dead. And you know, it might seem obvious, but there are those that really would say, you know, you can live however you want. In fact, there's quite a few in the days we're living in that, that claim to be uh, Christians that will live hedonistic lives with no remorse, with no conscience, with no conviction whatsoever. And uh, saying, ah, I got faith, yeah, Jesus is God, yeah. Uh, Jesus is just all right with me. Wait, no, that was the Doobie Brothers. Um, so the context is these guys have faith, and, uh, but they say uh, it doesn't matter how they live their lives. But here James is saying God acknowledges Abraham's fear of God since, because... He did not withhold his own hand to slay Isaac. And that faith was made perfect, complete by that. A faith that is more than just words. And then it says Abraham is justified by faith. He did what God asked, believing God would provide a lamb for the sacrifice. He is referred to as our father and our friend. Now, all of this, these passages are not meant to scare anybody off with impossible demands. It's to put, us, put the kingdom before us so that we look to the kingdom, so that our eyes are there, then what's here doesn't seem that important so much, and it's a little easier to stop withholding from the Lord. And, and it becomes just simply more reasonable. Why would we withhold anything from the Lord who's building us such a better place to come. We are justified the moment we believe in God unto salvation. But God is gracious, and our sanctification is ongoing. It's, a, it's a going from one to the next um, until the day that Jesus comes and we will be like him because we're found in him. We're found in him as he is, so we will be. In Genesis 22, the Lord will provide for himself a sacrifice. You put your faith in the perfect Lamb of God, and he is the sacrifice for our sins. When you do, you are justified. You are sanctified, and you will rise to eternal life. If you want to turn to Philippians for our last passage tonight, uh, chapter 3, 17, all the way through 4, 1. It says, Brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. Paul's speaking to the Philippians. Um, for many walk, of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping, they are enemies of the cross of Christ, 
whose end is destruction, notice whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, but who they set their mind on earthly things. That's where the final, where it all begins. The bottom line is here, that's what they're doing. They're setting their mind on earthly things. Where's our citizenship in verse 20? Our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. That God who can call into existence, call into being those things that did not exist, can take this body and, and, and transform it. Therefore, my beloved and longed-for brethren, my joy, my crown, so stand fast in the Lord. In other words, so stand, do it like this. You know, set your mind, going down to verses 5 through uh, 8, let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing. Let Loosen that grip, that what you're holding on to. Don't withhold uh, your only son, you know, figuratively speaking. Um, let, the Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And when you do pray, what happens? It says, the peace of God, will su- su- uh, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. You know, my heart, I don't know my heart as well as the Lord does. My heart's deceitfully wicked. My mind, if I don't bring to captivity the thoughts in my mind, it'll take off and I'll be in who knows where in no time whatsoever. I spend a lot of time on the road, and as I do, there's, I don't listen to music or anything. A lot of times it's just too much. And so I'll be going down the road and fellowshipping with the Lord, and before you know it, my mind is off on something else that I saw, some building over there, and, and it just has me going some other direction. But he says, you know, um, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and guard your minds through Christ Jesus. And he says, finally, what are you supposed to think about? Whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, we'll meditate on those things. And what did Jesus say? He says, um, Set your mind on things above, for the earth is passing away, but my words will never pass away. So until that day that he takes us home, just don't be withholding anything from him. If you withhold nothing, well, then he knows that we fear him. He's not ashamed to be called our God. Not that he'd be ashamed of us, uh, but you know, because we're, like I said, a work in progress. Sanctification is ongoing. But that the, that his name would be brought to shame in the world that watches us and sees whether or not we're, you know, not passing the test or failing the test, but as we're tested, what comes out of us? You know, when you start boiling the water, things start to to happen. And um, if we withhold nothing, then he knows we fear him. He's not ashamed to be called our God. But here's the thing. Jesus bore our guilt and he bore our shame on the cross. He died in our place. So there is no more shame 
There is no more guilt because Jesus in him, you know, it says the father uh, is well pleased. Listen to my son, you know, in him I am well pleased. If we're in him, he's well pleased with us because we're in Jesus Christ. So what's the whole bit? Hide yourself in him. Be found in him at his coming. Amen. That's all I got. Let's pray. Uh, Father, again, um, we do fall short. And um, Lord, we, we just ask that you'd continue to be gracious to us, continuing to sanctify us until you come for us. And we know at that time, in that split second, we'll be transformed and we'll be like you. And we'll know all things, even as we're known, your word says. We just look forward to that. We've got to go about our day, Lord. We just pray that uh, we could uh, be reminded each day to give it up to you. And like your word says, pick up our cross, follow after you. Lord, help us for those things that we're grabbing onto so tight and we don't want to let go. Teach us how just to, to not withhold anything from you. Because we know that uh, you love us and you're prepared a place for us. And again, we just pray for all those that uh, are not well. Lift them up to you. And uh, pray you'd bless this Saturday with the gals having their get-together. I pray you'd bless them richly. And as always, Lord, uh, lift up the up-and-coming weekend and Sunday morning service to you and just pray that you'd be uh, preparing and drawing hearts to yourself as uh, we wait for you. In Jesus' name, amen.